Well, please turn with me this evening to John's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 8. John 16, verse 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Well, friends, we're thinking uh, this evening of the problem with the world. The problem with the world. And when I say world, I'm not referring to the terra firma. I'm not referring to the planet Earth that we live in, uh, to this uh, biological world. This world, yes, we know it has its misfortunes. It has its hurricanes, like tonight a little bit. It has its storms and uh, gusts of wind. And it has its disasters, its tsunamis, its floods. Uh, we are aware of those things. But uh, I'm not talking about the world's disasters uh, this evening. When I say the problem with the world, I'm referring to the people in the world. I'm thinking about mankind. Mankind has a big problem. What is the problem with mankind? Not man's problems. <laughs> Man has many problems. We know that. There are many problems that come our way. But this is something different. What is the problem with man? What is the problem with man and women? There's something fundamentally wrong with man. The Bible says there is something that is ex uh, crucially very wrong with him. Something not external to him, but something within him. Something about him that is a big issue uh, to God. Something that is uh, puts him out of sync uh, with, uh, his, with his maker. And what is this problem, this grave and serious problem that man has? Our oh, friends, very simply it is that he does not believe in Christ. He is an unbeliever. He is a non-believer. In spite of all the evidence to the contrary, he doesn't believe God. He doesn't believe what God says. He won't believe what God says. This is the principal problem with man. He is an unbeliever in the face of evidence after evidence. And friends, this is no small flaw with man. This is no peccadillo in his character. This is not something that just can be uh, take, taken or left. This is something that is a major fault with him. To compound the matter, to make it worse than what it is even, he doesn't see it as a problem. He doesn't see his unbelief as a big issue. It's, he can take it or leave it. It's a matter of choice. His unbelief is not a problem to him. It is a problem to God but not to him. He shouldn't be like that. Naturally, he shouldn't be like that. Oh, friends, the Bible teaches us that we are all born with a capacity to worship. All of us worship something or other. We are born with an instinct for worship. We know when we came into this world, 
we have that sense within us that there is a God. God gives it to us. God places that in our hearts. We sort of know that there is a supreme being overall, somebody who is much greater than I, and it's sort of, we sort of know as well that we are accountable to this God. We don't want perhaps that, that kind of knowledge, but we know these things. So friends, God has given that to you and I to be of help to us, so to help us to come to know Him. The fact that that sense that there is a God and that sense that we are accountable to Him will make us think about these things. Otherwise, without these inward movements of our uh, conscience and ourselves, within ourselves, perhaps we would never think about God. We would be so lost in what the world offers to us. But we have, within each one of us, this uh, inner sense there is a God. But over time, what happens, sadly, to so many people? They suppress these things, perhaps through education. I know, I know students who uh, went into a school believing in God, went into a university believing in God, and they came out the other side as unbelievers. They heard from professors, this is not true. This is, you don't have to believe in God because of uh, X, Y, and Z. Other people are turned away from believing in God because perhaps they see the hypocrisy of professors of religion. And that deters them. Some are turned away by the example of friends and family. And friends and family who have become atheists. And they say, oh, so-and-so has become an atheist. And that affects the, the, these other people. And so we have all these different things. Naturally, we have this instinct, but we suppress it in some way or other over time. Just yesterday, I was talking to a mum, and uh, this mum was telling me about her teenage daughter. And she said her teenage daughter came to her that very morning and said to her, Mum, can I be an atheist? Where did that come from? She had it, was, it didn't just happen on the spur of the moment. She was, at a certain point, it seems, uh, uh, had, had an idea that there is a God, but something has happened between then and her statement and request yesterday, can I be an atheist? Something has come in and influenced this child to turn her away uh, from belief in God. She's been influenced. She's moved from a position where you can see she initially had that position, but it's been uh, diverted away by something or other in her life. Friends, God created our universe, but man refuses to believe it. God made man out of the dust of the earth and gave him an immortal soul, a never-dying soul. In a moment of time, God made Adam. A man laughs at this. He thinks it's incredulous. It's ridiculous to say that man was created in a moment of time. Christ came into the world. The Son of God came from heaven into this world. The Bible tells us, God tells us, and he went all the way to the cross to take the punishment for our sins upon his own shoulders out of great and mighty love for sinners. He did this act of self-sacrifice 
so that people could be forgiven their sins, cleansed from all their sins, and then go to heaven at last. And people say, I don't believe it. I don't believe what he has done. I refuse to accept what he has done. And they turn away from these things. This is the problem, friends. We don't believe what God says in his word. We don't believe what he has done. In this, these verses that we are looking at, we see how Christ is he's, uh, speaking to his uh, nearest and dearest disciples, the apostles. The next day, the very next day, he's to be crucified and uh, he's going to be taken from them. They're despairing, they're in sorrow, and uh, he's uh, preparing them for his departure. He's comforting them. And here in verse 7, he tells them of another comforter who will come. And I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The comforter uh, will come. The Holy Spirit, uh, will, the third person of the Trinity, uh, God, will be sent from the Father and the Son. He who is equal uh, with the Father and the Son. He would uh, come from Christ and he would work with the disciples and with, uh, with their work of preaching the gospel. And he would work alongside the apostles. And as they preached the gospel, he would be there by their side, as it were, working through their preaching and through their words to convict people, to reprove people, it says here in verse 8, to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The word reprove there doesn't mean really so much tell off, but it means to convict and to convince people and to persuade people of its sin and of its righteousness and of its judgment. And that's what I just want to look at uh, briefly, really, in this time. The, the, the world's sin, the world's righteousness, and the world's judgment. So firstly, the world's uh, sin in verse 9. Uh, this is expanded for us. Of sin because they believe not on me. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, is going to convict the world of sin. He's going to convict the world of a, a specific sin is mentioned here. Now, we are guilty of many sins, and we shall be brought into judgment before God for all our sins. There are some people who teach that God will only judge us for our unbelief. But that's not right. We will be judged if we are outside of Christ for all our sins. But here it, it is true to say that the main sin, the, 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 the chief sin is unbelief. When he is come, he will judge uh, the world, sorry, he will reprove the world of sin because they believe not on me. The unbelief is the chief sin of man. Unbelief is the crowning sin. Unbelief is the mother of all sins uh, for, for mankind. 
and the Spirit comes along, and the Spirit shows us these things. He comes, and through the preaching of the Word, or as a person is reading the Bible, or as a, a friend is talking to them, or they're reading a tract or something like that, the Spirit will come to a person and will show to that person, you need faith in Christ. You need to believe in Christ. He will, if you trust in Him with all your heart, with a personal faith, you will be saved and you will go be, be forgiven. If you turn from your sins and trust in the, the Christ who has come from heaven, this is what He will do for you. He will change your life. He will recreate you. He will make you a new person. That's that whole slate of your sins, oh, thousands and thousands of sins that you have on your record, well, they will be a, all be wiped off. The slate will be wiped clean and you will be forgiven if you believe in Jesus. Your sins will be entirely forgotten by God. He will no longer uh, exact a penalty for those sins from you. God will remember them no more, he says. This is what he, he brings before uh, sinners. And then he brings before them the promises of Christ. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then uh, a couple of verses on from that He that believeth is not condemned. And the Holy Spirit shows these things and points these things out to people. And then maybe he brings before a person examples from the Scripture, again, to encourage that person to believe. And he perhaps brings before them uh, that uh, incident of that Philippian jailer who, who uh, when that earthquake hit the, hit the jail where Paul and Silas were uh, inside, the apostles of Christ, and he, he went into, the, into their cell and he cried out, What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. And that's an encouragement. He said, Well, that man was saved. Then I too can be saved. He was such a rotten man. He was such a wicked person. He was such a, a criminal person. And here he is. He's being saved. Well, I too can be saved. And the Spirit encourages, exhorts us, compels us, urges us to turn to Christ, to look to Him, to trust in Him who has done uh, all these things for us. Some accept and yield and they find it to be true. This is true. Everything that the Spirit, as it were, said to me is true. Oh, I've, I've proved it in my, in my experience. But sadly, many others reject Christ. And they won't believe these things that are presented to them. And they refuse to believe and prefer to go on in a stubborn way. Why? Why won't people believe in Christ? Why do people choose to remain as unbelievers in this world? Well, there are many reasons we could mention. But let me just mention a couple. Firstly, we could say that people don't believe in Christ and don't turn to Him because oh, they just don't believe He is who He says He is. They don't believe His claims about Himself. He said He is the Son of God. He said He is eternal. Before Abraham was, I am. 
He is the great I am, the eternal God, come in human form. People didn't believe that. He is equal with the Father. People didn't believe these things about Christ, that He is the Savior of sinners, that He is not just a man, He is the God-man. Come, come to save men and women. This is who He is. The one who is without beginning and without end confined himself for a moment for uh, 33 years in a human body while he lived and moved amongst us. This is who he is. And yet, he wasn't just a man. He was the Son of God. He was divine. This is who Christ is, friends. And yet, people don't believe it. I refuse to believe that. And they demote him. And they say, I... I, I I, I don't believe he is God. They strip him of his deity. They bring him down to a human level. Oh, he's a man just like you and I, they say. There's no difference between Christ and us. Oh, he's a good teacher, but he's a man just like you and me. And so I can dismiss him because he's a man just like you and me. You see, you're rob they rob Christ of his claims, of his deity, of who he really is. And then they feel that they can just uh, put him to one side uh, in their lives. There was a vicar that I heard of, and uh, initially he believed these things. And he held to the, the deity of the Son of God. But then one day he was, he was studying, or he was hearing about Christ walking on the water, and he said, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. I don't believe all the miracles that I read off in the, in the scriptures. And then it, eventually from that point, well, he was on a, a level, he was just going downwards, wasn't he? He's, he the trajectory of his, from there, once you let go of one thing, you can let go of another thing in, in, the, in the scriptures. And that's what he did. And he eventually came to the point where he said, I don't believe that Christ is God. He's just a man. And in his own words, he said, well, I feel free now to criticize him because he's just like you and I. You see, he lost, he lost his belief, or so-called belief in Christ. Oh, friends, do you believe who Christ is? Do you believe his claims about himself? Then there are some people, well, they don't believe in Christ. They make a choice to remain as unbelievers because they just prefer a life without God. That's their preference. They know what's offered to them in the Bible. They know what's offered to them by the Lord, but they say, no, thank you. I prefer to live life as it I'm doing, as, it, as, as I have now. To believe in Christ, well, that's going to be a disturb my life. To believe in Christ, well, that's going to be an interference in my life. It's going to be a disruption to my life. My life at the moment is comfortable. I, uh, there are a few issues, a few problems, but I can do as I like. I can say what I like. I can live as I like. I can think as I like. I can do it. I'm not accountable to anybody else. Why should I want to put myself in a position where I have to be accountable to God? I don't want that kind of a life. Why should I? That's what belief in Christ would lead to, isn't it? That I have to yield my life, that I have to call Him my Lord as well as my Savior. I don't want Him to be my Lord. I want to be the Lord of my life. 
This is what we want, isn't it? People say, I, I want to do, be free to live in the way that I choose. I'm not prepared to yield my life over to God. Oh, friends, that's why so many people jump on evolution. So many people today, because they want this kind of a life without God, well, they're not comfortable maybe just outrightly rejecting it. They must have something that they can fall back on and say, aha, this is the reason why I don't believe in God. And so many fall back on evolution. Many fall back on this and say, well, look, science has proved, isn't it, that there is no God. Science has proved that everything has just come about by chance that all these things have happened. We don't need to believe in God to give us an explanation for life and the world that we live in and why we are the way we are. Evolution does all these things for us, they say. Isn't it? Look at, uh, look at uh, it's, that's its explanation. Is it true, friends? Is it true? Well, people want this so that they can uh, live as they like. But is evolution a good explanation for life? No, friends, it's far from it. There are so many holes in evolution. One only has to examine a single cell. As we know so much more about a single cell than we ever did before. And with these single cells, the more, when you study it, you must come to the conclusion that there is a designer. You must come to the conclusion Friends, that there is a creator. That's the only logical conclusion when you con con check what a single cell looks like. You know what's happened. Recent discoveries in science, what they've found is that uh, within one single cell, there are all these different machines, molecular ma machines, uh, which are running within one single cells. And what they say about one of these systems within a cell is that they are irreducibly complex. That means every part within that particular system, within that particular cell, has to be functioning in order for it to work. It is a, a, every system within a particular cell, and there are many of them, has, has several component parts and each part interacts with the other, remove one part, and it all falls to bits. It doesn't work. That system doesn't work. Every part has to be together. Michael Behe, in his, uh, who is from Lehigh University, and wrote uh, Darwin's uh, Black Box, uh, he gives us a household example of this, and he uses uh, the mousetrap. And uh, the mousetrap, he says, well, it's a machine where that has a spring, it has a wooden platform, it has a hammer, and it has other pieces. But if you remove one of these pieces, just one, it stops working. And no mice will be caught. It no longer functions as a mousetrap. It will catch nothing. Just one piece is removed. And that's what uh, irreducible complexity is, is that it can, things can only go down to a certain level, and it's a complex level, which is contrary to what evolution is saying to us. Evolution says to us, everything came in gradually, 
bit by bit, one on top of the other. One follows the other. First there was this, then this was added to it, then this was added to it. This irreducible complexity tells us it's not. Things couldn't have worked in that way. Even a simple cell demonstrates this to be a false notion. Let go of evolution, friends. Don't believe it. That's to believe what the Lord has said uh, in His Word. But then, secondly, in verse 10, we see the Spirit is convincing the world of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Now, the world, uh, even man, is not averse to righteousness entirely. Uh, some dislike it enormously, but there are people who do think, well, righteousness is a good thing. But they believe in a morality, and they, they think it's good to be moral, to be upright. It's not Christ's righteousness, but they have formed some kind of righteousness of their own. And there are some people who invent their own way, their own kind of righteousness, their own scheme of righteousness, and say, this will do for me. This is my rights and this is my wrongs. It's different from these. It's different from the Ten Commandments, usually. Some people just have one single commandment, and that which is their moral code for life. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's it. That's the, the sum total of their righteousness. And they think, as long as I, I follow this, then all will be well with me in the end. I don't need to have a perfect righteousness. I'll do my best. I'll try my very best. That won't harm other people. I know I'm not perfect. Surely God will accept me at the end. There are others who take the matter more ser of righteousness more seriously. And they think, well, it's important to, to be righteous, so I'm going to try and be uh, as morally good as I can. And so they strive for it, and perhaps they know that uh, I need to be righteous in God's eyes, and they will uh, uh, try and merit uh, salvation. And they will put in effort, and they will try and have a, re uh, have a list of good things that they need to do and keep on doing in order to obtain a favor from God and blessing from God. The hours may be put in day by day, and they are struggling and they're trying their very, very best to keep those Ten Commandments, perhaps, and to be uh, good in God's sight. Sacrifices, perhaps, they make. They abstain from smoking and drinking and other things, and they think, well, this righteousness is the kind of righteousness I need to have in order to please God. But friends, when the Holy Spirit comes along, and again, through the preaching or through uh, the, the Bible reading that they are having on their own, he comes alongside and he whispers, as it were, in our ear, this way of righteousness that you have chosen is a hard way. I will show you a better way. I will show you a, an easier way. I will show you a way that God will accept. I will show you how you can have real righteousness in your life, the divine way, the way that is light and easy. If you follow this way, your way, 
It will end in disaster for you. It will end in rejection for you. It will be a failure. God will not accept the filthy rags of your righteousness. For that is what they are in your sight, in His sight, who is holy and righteous. He cannot accept these small offerings that you give. They are all tainted with sin. The Holy Spirit points these things out to us. You need somebody else's righteousness. You need the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, He doesn't just tell us, but He urges us, leave these things. Discard your own righteousness. Get rid of it. Don't trust in it. Look to the righteousness of Christ. And He points us in that direction. This is what this verse is telling us of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. This is a righteousness connected with Christ. What does he mean when he says, because I go to my Father and see me no more? Well, Christ, to get to his Father, must go through the cross. He must go through that way of making an atonement for sin. But how do we know that God has accepted what He has done on the cross? Because three days later, He rose from the dead. And He ascended then to His Father. And we, that is a testimony, that is a, a, con, a confirmation. His resurrection and ascension is a confirmation to the world that God has accepted what Christ has done on behalf of sinners. That He has paid the penalty of sin for all who will trust in Him, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That He has made an atonement for their sins if they will trust in Him. And this is the evidence is His rising again. God has accepted it. So if we trust in Christ, if I trust in Him, He will not only forgive me, but He will give me His righteousness. He will impute His righteousness to me. And, it, uh, and I let go, as I let go of my own. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what He points us to. But then thirdly and briefly, we see in verse 11, something else of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Judgment? Judgment? There's no such thing as judgment, people may think. After death, that's it, we're told. After that, you cease to be. Everything about you, all that complex experiences in life that you went through, it's all gone, it's all forgotten, it's, it's done and dusted with. Others believe in judgment, but they view the judge as a benign, grandfatherly figure who will always forgive you, who will always accept you, the, the type of person who is always smiling upon you, not the person, not the type of person who would punish sin, not the type of person who would consign people to hell forever. They don't think of God as that. They can only see His love. They cannot see that He is holy, that He is just, and He has, has to punish uh, sin. And the work of the Spirit is to come alongside these men and women and to convince them otherwise and to point out to them, look what's happened to the prince of this world. Look what's happened to him who rebelled against God. Even who is the chief rebel, Satan. When he rebelled against God, he was judged and he has been judged. 
the prince of this world, is judged. His fate is already sealed. He has been judged already. His judgment is fixed and irrevocable forever. That's what's happened to the devil who rose up against God. That's his end is a certain end. And the Spirit comes alongside us and uh, tells us if we side with the devil and follow his example in rebelling against the Lord, then God will hold us accountable and we, he will have to judge us. After death comes the judgment, the Bible says. But if we repent, friends, and we turn from our sins and turn to Christ, God will be merciful to us. Yes, we will still have to stand before God, but he, if we have been believers in the Savior and trusted in Him, that He will not hold us accountable for our sins in the sense that He will not penalize us for our sins because Jesus Christ has paid the penalty already for our sins. But if I stand before God, unforgiven and without a Savior, then God must punish me for my sins. I will have to give, pay the penalty for them. But if I turn to Christ today, oh friends, He will forgive me. He will give me uh, that clean slate we spoke of. He will give me eternal life, spiritual life now, and life in the world to come. And in the day of judgment, Christ will be there to speak for me. He is one of mine. He believes in me. She believes in me. Let them be spared. Let them come into the kingdom of God, into heaven. These are prepared for these ones who believe in me. Oh, friends, this is uh, what the work of the Spirit of God does with us to turn us away from our rebellion, to warn us about these things, that we may turn to Christ before it's too late. Friends, do you believe these things? Do you believe in Christ truly? Do you believe that He is the Son of God? Do you believe that He is the Savior, the only Savior of sinners? Are you trusting Him for salvation? Do you believe that you cannot merit God's favor? That your righteousness is unacceptable before God? Do you believe and hold to and cling to by faith Christ's righteousness alone? Do you believe there is a judgment to come? Are you ready for it? To stand before God? Oh, friends, may the Holy Spirit help you and uh, to believe in these things. Come to Christ. Come to Him and pray this simple prayer. Lord, I believe. Have mercy upon me. And He will hear your cry. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for your word that tells us of these things that are so necessary in order for us to find peace with you. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit so that through him we may be helped to see clearly what your word is saying and to understand about sin and righteousness and judgment. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to respond with all our hearts to these things and to believe with all our hearts in him who, whom you have sent. Bless us, we pray, each one, 
we ask in our Saviour's name. Amen. And let's close by singing our final hymn, which is number 393. I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, trusting only thee. 393.